Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome to part two of Homo Sapiens. And what we've got now is a lovely chat with Nick Tadani, star of stage and screen. He was famously in a show called Atypical. We've actually got some listener questions for him about Atypical, the Netflix show. He was also in Dear Evan Hansen, the film that just came out recently, and he's just been in Waitress on Broadway. He shot to fame as a gay Indian man doing stand-up comedy about being gay and Indian. He went viral, that put him on the map in Hollywood, and now the world is his oyster. Here is my lovely chat with him. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing yeah. well. Yeah. I'm in LA right now, calling in from my apartment. You're in the countryside, yeah? How are you doing? How is that life for you? How is that life for me? I was born in London. I was born in the city. I, I grew up there. And I've always been told I was a Londoner. And then it's a tiny, tiny bit like coming out. I've slightly realised I'm not a Londoner. Wow. And how how did your family take it? <laughs> they they won't they won't speak to me. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> no, they're fine with it. Yeah, I'm really I'm really happy being outside of the city, and I think that is probably to do with learning that intense stimulation isn't good for me in the long run. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That's very real. I feel like I have to leave LA at least every few months to stay sane. Really? Yeah. It's an interesting mix, though, LA, isn't it? Because it's obviously a city. It's obviously the centre of a lot of things. But at the same time, like, there's something a little bit more country about it that I really love. Like, it doesn't... When I've been to New York... Like, I've been walking along the street and people have just walked into the back of me because I'm not walking fast enough for them. Like, it's so, it's so cutthroat. It's like, I can't, like, this is crazy. Whereas in LA, there's more of a relaxed vibe. It's definitely a slower speed out here, which I, I like. And there's more space. It's much more spread out. You're not too far from the mountains or the beach or the forests, yes. you know. So it's definitely not New York. No one's going to walk into you. Someone might drive into you. But no one's going to walk into you. Is it true in LA, someone told me this literally 15 years ago, and I've never actually asked anyone who lives in Los Angeles. Is it true there are people who jump in front of your car so that you hit them so they can sue you? <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it happens. Uh, <laughs> I thankfully have not had someone looking for my insurance money do that to me. And I can't say I have done that myself i have not do you drive i do drive 
Yeah. Poorly. Oh, really? Same. Yeah, really? Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a gay stereotype that we're bad drivers, but, uh, you know, stereotypes come from somewhere. Why is it a stereotype that we're bad drivers, do you think? I have no idea, but I see memes about it all the time. Bad drivers, we sit weird, we like iced coffee, you know, that whole I thing. literally was going to say iced coffee. Yeah. There's this thing about gays liking iced coffee. I don't know how that became a thing. I don't know how any of this stuff became a thing. Like, I drive, <laughs> I drive a Jeep and someone told me that Jeeps are gay. Oh, totally. So gay. But that's because of... Um... Isn't that because of Queer as Folk? Oh, okay, sure. That makes sense. I, I used to have a Jeep as well, but I didn't have the Jeep, the sort of beachy, buggy-ish Jeep. Got it. And I said to my husband, I was like, oh, we could get that Jeep, i.e. because it was, it was like the cheapest Jeep they do. <laughs> and he literally just looked at me and went, we can't do that. And I was like, why? And he's like, Queer as Folk. And I was like, oh, didn't know that was a thing. I mean, I think you can have one of those in LA. They're like a summer car. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind that it's a gay car. I, I don't want a straight car, so... What, what would a straight car be? Like a saloon? Yeah, like, I don't even know what that is. So, yeah, probably that. <laughs> uh, probably like a Honda Civic. Reliable. Yeah. Yeah, or like a Nissan Sentra. That feels very straight. Weirdly, one of the one things I used to do that felt vaguely heteronormative when I was younger is I used to go to this big car show with my dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really funny. It was like a sort of bonding experience. That's lovely. So he wasn't, he wasn't like taking you to the car show to prevent homosexuality. <laughs> no. No, my dad was the one who bought me a doll when I wanted a doll when I was a oh, kid. Oh, well, that's nice. What kind of doll was it? It was this blonde doll with long hair. She was very glamorous. I think she wore pink dungarees. And I think she was called something like Ruth or something. It was like a Ruth. Mate. And I have such a distinct memory, actually, of like, I wanted one of these dolls and my dad went and got one with me. We got back to the house with the doll and I was like, I want to go and show my neighbours over the road who also have this doll. I want to show them the two girls over the road that I had the doll as well. And my dad was like, oh, okay, well, they'll probably be in their pyjamas, like getting ready for bed, but I'll take you over. So we went over and I have such a distinct memory of the dad opening the door and there being a vibe of like, why are you here? Because everyone's trying to go to bed. But also, th- that was the first inkling I had that the doll was odd. Because the dad, he was just giving me this vibe of like, why has he got a doll? And everyone mm. in their house found it odd. Whereas in my house, no one had told me anything about it being... They were just like, if you want to do it, you do it. How did the, how did the girls react? Your friends? I don't really have much memory of that other than like, I think they, they were like, cool. Isn't it funny how we remember like the traumatic adjacent <laughs> negative thing, but then when someone's chill, we just completely forget about it. <laughs> I do that too. I do that all the time. So true, isn't it? You know. You remember the traumatic, but you also, a lot of your memories are formed from things that weren't said. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just the tone in a room that you can read. Yeah. And you just get a sense. Like, I think most of outsiderdom of any respect, it's not like, I think the, the the numbers of times that people have actually walked up to people and given them a real piece of their mind about who they are is far, far less than feeling like an outsider from the sense of, or the lack of something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Especially nowadays, where I think people are a little more hesitant of being, you know, 
someone who screams faggot at their car door. Mm. But, but you know, will give you that look that makes you feel the hate. Yes. But is that something you experience in Los Angeles, for example? Would you ever, would you ever say you come up against that? I feel like I live in a very gay bubble here, which I've worked very hard to build. and to protect myself to protect myself every time i go back home to arizona or texas uh definitely feel it growing up i absolutely experienced a lot of that a lot of homophobia a lot of racism a lot of bullying um but thankfully in my adult life i've i've Mm. figured out a way to avoid the worst of it you grew up in arizona and presumably that was a very well it You've spoken about the fact that it was a very white neighborhood, right? Yeah, very white, very wealthy, very uh, religious, very Christian. And my family was broke, brown, and Hindu. So we really didn't meet any of the prerequisites for living there. And how did your family end up there? Uh, My dad was an air conditioning salesman at the time. Uh, We lived in Dallas, and his job... Gave him the choice to move to Chicago or Arizona. And for some reason, they picked Arizona. Do you remember any of those first moments of outsiderdom feeling different as your family when you got there? Yeah, I I don't know if I have like a memory of one specific moment, but I think very quickly we felt or I felt like an outsider. I mean, there were just very few people that looked like me at school. I was one of like a handful of black or brown kids you know i i I had this experience which i think a lot of like children immigrants have is you take took indian food to school for lunch Mm -hmm. and the reaction was less than ideal you know a lot of teasing and and kids being grossed out by it and me going home being like i never want to eat this at school ever again and then taking lunchables for the next five years which uh you know is definitely a poor nutritional choice but (laughs) protected me from from shitty kids at school when you said that to your family did they get it or were they yeah they got it yeah they, they got it i mean like they uh, had also experienced their fair share of discrimination and and, and casual and less casual racism and so mm-hmm. they understood they understood i mean they were bummed but they understood yeah i know because it's different for every family but was it something you were able to talk about openly as a family we didn't really talk about things openly, like, at all, uh, for the longest time. I would say recently that has changed as my sister and I, older sister and I, have become adults, mm. forcing conversations. Mm. But growing up, not so much. So hard, that stuff, isn't it? To try and get your parents to have conversations about that sort of thing. Did your, did your parents ever speak to you about racism growing up? Never. Never. Wow. It would, you know, like if someone was a terrible person, they're a racist, would be thrown in. But there was never any kind of like, that I can recall, a conversation like being like, we have to consider this. And, mm-hmm. and, and let alone, you know, phase two, which is like the ingrained stuff that you don't even realize exists. I yeah. mean, I don't think I could even have that conversation now. Really? Yeah. Like I think... Oh, with your parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got it, yeah. got it, got it. Yeah, well, it's only my mum is still around now. You can now, would you say? Absolutely, yeah. Now my family has conversations about everything, um, really? which is which is really cool. Yeah, we talk about racism, we talk about sexuality, we talk about drugs, we talk about mental health. 
Wow. Uh, talk about dating. You know, I, I share stories about my boyfriend, which is something I've never done wow. ever before in previous uh, relationships of mine. You know, I always kind of kept that stuff close to my chest. And how do you bring it up? I mean, I think it just kind of comes up in conversation. I think it's like, what's going on in your life? And my mom likes to call me every day. So uh, oh, I love that. I don't answer every day. Um, <laughs> we'll never let her hear that. She knows I don't. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking to her every day. So, um, uh, no, but yeah, I just feel like it kind of comes up naturally now at this point. Uh, my sister, my older sister is a therapist. Um, and so she's always trying to have a much deeper conversation and dig a little further into the subtext of, of a moment and talk about the broader implications and the psychological blah, 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 blah. It gets exhausting, frankly, but I love her regardless. There can be a thing in families where when, if someone asks how you are, you quite naturally can just say, oh, I'm fine and not actually go into detail. So it's amazing that you're actually saying to your family what's going on and what's going on for you, you know? Yeah, it is pretty weird. Uh, and it's not, it's <laughs> not it? always, it's not always met with like, like, you know, uh, recently I was um, going through uh, a bit of a depression and I was telling my dad that I was, and he just like, I, I don't like that word depression. Really? And then we had to have a whole conversation about it and it wasn't like a agreeable conversation or like a easy conversation, but the conversation does happen, which is cool. And also like uh, giving people the tools with how you want to have that conversation so you can have better ones in future, you know, yeah. like with depression, not that I have experienced it myself, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but like with anything, mental health stuff, it's like... you never experienced depression in your whole life? Not in a clinical sense. Oh, interesting. You might be the first person I've met. <laughs> I was saying more, I think my flavor is more anxiety. Like if uh, I go, yes, if I yes. go, if I'm in an unsettled place, that's where I go. Sure. I I've never had that thing of like, which I know depression is not this straightforward, but like can't get out of bed, that listlessness thing. It's more yeah. like I feel overwhelmed by the future. That's mm. when I know I need to take a time out, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, no, that makes complete sense. So, and so sometimes like with family, you can, and that's all you know, being able to verbalize that you get really concerned about the future and that's anxiety and that's, you know, even that language requires qualification with your family to say, I just want to tell you about this. I don't want you to fix it for me. I don't need you to tell me solutions. I just want to speak about it with you. So I'm being the real me, I suppose. And it's that stuff which I find really useful and enables conversations that can be a bit more fruitful. Because I think that generation above us and above us and above us, and we will be considered that generation to the next generation are just a bit more buttoned up about what's really going on. Mm -hmm. I feel like we already are that to Gen Z. Like, I feel like Gen Z folks are even more open and transparent than us in like a really significant way. That's fascinating. Where do you see that? Where have you seen that happen? I'm trying to think of an example I've seen. I just feel like most of the like young adults that I know just wear everything on their sleeves. And mm. I think it's I think part part of it is because they've just grown up sharing everything online since they were like infants. Mm. And so 
the sharing culture is, is much more ingrained into like the way they were brought up. And then also I think having millennials as parents, I think primed them to be able to have the tools, like you were saying, to talk mm. about and the, then the language to talk about it. Mm. Um, and I do feel like some schools, not all schools, but some schools are also like becoming more proactive in, in talking about like mental health and sex and sexuality and racism uh, and, and discrimination and social justice and all that stuff. And so I mm. think the combination of those things has led, I don't want to generalize too much, but yeah, has led to just a much more open generation mm. for better for better and worse. Your family must be incredibly proud of you, I imagine. They are. They're 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 proud, and it's uh, it's nice because <laughs> I don't know if that was always the case. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Really, do you think that they were a bit behind with what you were doing before? I don't know. Maybe that's not totally fair to say. At least I didn't feel it. I think I can say that. I, I think similar to what you're saying earlier, it's less about like the explicit stuff that's thrown at you and more of just like the environment you're in and how you're made to feel and feeling like an other, you know, and how, how that can affect the way you feel and operate and navigate. And so I definitely am feeling the pride a lot more and the love, which is really cool. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you about is sort of time and context, because the narrative a little bit with you is like, if you, if I Google you, right, it's kind of like, you know, about five, six years ago, you kind of went viral with stand-up comedy about being a gay Indian. And and that in- inevitably, you know, a lot of your really funny jokes were about, like, your mum's reaction, your dad's reaction, you know. And there's two things that I think are interesting there. It's like you're putting your head above the parapet, right, in a sense that there are, and there are not many other gay indians doing that so that for them is probably really scary but were they supportive at that time yes they were they were a lot of the jokes came from i was pulling from an earlier era and and by the time i was writing those jokes uh there had already been a lot of progress which i think is what allowed me to actually write the jokes i think Mm -hmm. when i'm when you're in a thing and you're experiencing the negativity and the hardship it's very difficult at least for me it's very difficult for me to to make it funny and I think once you're, once you're able to kind of grow a little bit and, and get some time, 
it's it's easier to make fun of it. Uh, so definitely they were supportive at the time um, and have only become more conscious since. But you never really came out in a traditional sense, did you? To them, I did. Yeah. Did. I mean, to my family, yeah. yeah you know, I sat them down, did the whole thing. Um, you know, the joke that I have, you know, I said, Mom, I'm gay. And she said, happy gay or AIDS gay was very much based in in the truth where her first question was about HIV AIDS um, right. to me. And so, it, you know, it was it was tough. I definitely did have kind of a traditional coming out publicly in terms of like to the world, I feel like I've kind of always been out. Um, I guess that stand up was kind of just like my way of putting it on the record, I guess. But your dad said lovely things to you as well, didn't he, when you came out? I did. He did. He did. He he, he was very lovely, surprisingly lovely. Um, you know, I later found out that my mom had told him before I had a chance to. And he had a full week heads up to educate himself. And that's why he was able to react so well, which Interesting. part of me is upset by, cause like, that's not your thing to share mom. Mm. Uh, but also like I, it was very nice to have a positive reaction in that moment. Do you think she was almost trying to protect you? I don't know. Bring it up next time you're at the dinner table or not. <laughs> And do you feel that things have changed since your first stand-up outing? For a little while, if you Googled gay and Indian, the results would be me and a bunch of porn. But now it's me and a bunch of other people. And so I think in in that respect, things have changed. And And I do think, I don't know, I feel like the younger generation, things are very different. Like this is the Lil Nas X generation, right? Like yeah. this is... There are kids who are 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 right now watching Lil Nas X do his thing. And it's going to be a formative thing for them. And Mm. uh, you see the the studies that come out showing the increased number of people that identifies LGBTQ. And even within that population, like I think it's like a quarter of people, of queer people identify as non-binary. And so there is really like, I think there has been a pretty significant change amongst younger people amongst you know the folks that are still in positions of power the older folks um i think the conversation has changed i think the people i think people say the right thing more Mm -hmm. often than not has have actions changed have systems changed i don't actually know i'm not Mm. really i don't i don't think so really yeah i don't think so um, it's at least, at least from like my vantage point, obviously it's different depending on where you are and mm. what industry you're in, what country you're in, what culture you're in. Yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? Because the Lil Nas X generation, I, I sometimes have a fear about the kind of Madonnaification of Lil Nas X, mm. which is that he will be regarded as something extraordinary, unicornish like Madonna was when actually she was Madonna was making some seriously blanket valid points but it was being treated as like crazy talk you know <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah yeah no that's interesting I, I I'm not sure if I fear that or if I love that <laughs> I don't know I suppose I suppose I'm always hoping for a, a time of more wholesale change and actually sure. it's not 
ever going to be that because it's i don't know concern that heavy conservatism yeah i mean you know if, if the planet is still here in a couple hundred years i think like if you take a snapshot a snap uh shot of now and a snapshot of 200 300 years in the future like mm. i do think it'll be a markedly different culture i do think gender will will not be understood the same way as we understand it today mm. and race will not be understood in the same way it's understood today and I think inherently when you kind of dismantle both of those identities and structures and systems, then inevitably there's going to be wholesale change. Mm. Do you, with what Hannah Gadsby did with Nanette and that concept of not sending yourself up, do you feel like your comedy will change and you wouldn't tell those kinds of jokes now because the world has also changed? I would never dare to compare myself to Hannah Gatsby, the queen. Uh, but yeah, I think it would change. I think, I, I mean, definitely. Yes. It, my comedy, if I were to, you know, go back into stand up and, and, and writing about my personal life, it would definitely mm. change. It's uh, the, con- the context has changed. The world has just changed so dramatically since, you know, the, the, my, my first set that I you know put on YouTube or whatever was before Trump. It was 2015. Um, and so since then, I just think paradigms have shifted, at least in, in terms of consciousness. You know, like I think environmentally, we're more aware. Racially, we're absolutely more aware, thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement. Like I have experienced like a huge racial identity shift in the past year. Um, How? Because I know it affected you massively, which even that sounds glib to say. But um... I think in the past year, since the the protests following George Floyd's murder, my relationship to my own race has gotten, and my own culture has gotten a lot stronger. I've become a lot more proud of who I am, where I'm from. Mm. Um, I think I've also become more protective of me, my family, my story, my people. And I think my relationship with like racial power structures like the institutions has changed because you know hollywood is a a very white institution and it's the one that i'm in and for many many years i think i viewed my role in the industry as i need to figure out a way to work for the industry Mm -hmm. and i think the paradigm shift is i'm now i'm trying to do the best to see how can i make the industry work for me yeah. And I think that shift has has dramatically impacted the way I approach everything. And I think that's yeah. a direct credit to the Black Lives Matter movement and the unapologetic like demand for equity and equality and respect. Honestly, I, I, at the end of the day, it really is about respect. I think I'm, the, my sense of self-respect has, has skyrocketed, I think, in the past year. Uh, and I think that's a direct result to to what, what has happened. That's brilliant. And... Tell me about the salon. Yeah, so the salon is uh, a group I co-founded a couple years ago. Uh, it's for South Asian artists and executives in entertainment, and it started out uh, as an informal networking thing. Um, me and a couple of my uh, South Asian buddies, an actor and a manager, we all knew different South Asian folks scattered across the industry, but they all didn't know each other. And like, there were a lot of folks I didn't know that Vinny knew. A lot of folks that Vinny knew that Bash didn't know. These are the co-founders. 
Um, and so our, our, our goal was simply just to bring everyone together so that we could know each other, you know, really replicate what the black and Latinx communities have done in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is organize and support and like bring the, the people who are in positions of power together with the sole purpose of like advancing each other's stories um, and getting, getting our stuff made. Um, and so just by bringing people together over dinner, films were financed and people got staffed on shows and actors were cast in projects. And, wow. you know, it was really just the power of, of community in that sense at the, at its most basic level, right? Like bringing folks together and connecting. And you've had amazing people come in and support you and talk to you, right? Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really, uh, it's been really great this year. We, or last year we launched, uh, launched our mentorship program, um, which is specifically for the next generation of talent. Um, cause for the beginning part of it, we were really focused on, on the folks who are already established, who already, uh, hold some influence that they could wield to, to help the community. And, and now we're really also trying to expand our work to, to identify and support the next generation of talent. Um, mm mostly behind the camera. So it's writers, directors, executives, producers, so that we can build a pipeline so that in five years, we have a hundred alums of the program who are all in community with each other, who have connections and resources that they need uh, to then create the shows and movies and, and podcasts and plays that we can all be a part of uh, and, and, share our culture and our identities and stories with the world and it because mindy kaling is part of the mentorship program is that correct she so she was one of our guests to drop in so uh so our mentors are folks who we have 23 mentors who um are in five different tracks writing acting directing uh, executive leadership and producing. Um, and they're all folks that are working, uh, who have been working for quite some time. Um, and then we have, uh, our guests drop in. So we have folks like Mindy, like Hassan Minhaj, we have Kalpan dropping in. And these folks are made available to our mentees, uh, privately off the record, um, so that they can have conversations, have conversations, just ask the questions that they want to ask and, 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 you know, commiserate over shared experiences, but also get into the nitty gritty. You know, I think a lot of times if we're even convened in public settings, the conversation is always like kind of top level, like about representation and just like kind of very, like a lot of platitudes. Um, yeah. But these conversations, we really get into the craft as well. Like, yes, we talk about representation and racism and all that stuff, but we really get into like, what is it, you know, like to write a script? What is your process? What, how do you interact with actors as a director? How do you navigate uh, executives um, Mm. at a network? Right. And we really get into the, into the the weeds of it, which I think is brilliant, which is so, I'm so jealous of the mentees that they're getting this. I'm an unofficial mentee of the program. I'm like taking notes every time they speak. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm asking questions that I personally want answered. Because why not? Like where everyone's learning till the day you, you know, you've, you die. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. There's so much I don't know. There's so much. And to, to be able to speak to these folks that have really, you know, broken the barriers so that people like me can have a career. Yes. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to talk to them. Now, Nick, it came up in conversation wasn't quite conversation it came up in instagram chat with one of our listeners who's a massive fan of yours who sent me some questions for you ah okay which is really sweet one of them was about atypical okay and 
saying, I'd like to know how much fun he had playing such a rampantly hetero character. It always felt rather subversive to me, and I've loved it that the show is so queer positive. So anything he's got to say about that would be interesting. What was that like, Nick? It was a delight to play a straight, horny boy. uh, (laughs) Because I got to, like, tap into a side of me that I didn't quite know was there. Yeah. And... I it was really fun observing my straight male friends over the years to just take notes and see how they move and interact and how they dance. I remember for the audition there was like a thing where I had to dance. So I literally just watched one of my straight friends. I just said it was my roommate at the time and I'm like, "Can you just like dance just as if you're in a club?" I just want to know what that looks like. That's and I just funny. I I copied exact whatever he did I did in the audition room. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> what was that? What What were the hallmarks of that straightness? You know, there's like a boldness to it. Interesting. Bo- bold is a kind word. Um, there's a assertiveness to it. You know, in the body language, it's much more just like leaning forward. And it's a lot of like spread legs. And it's just like this like unearned confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit of disregard for... Uh, other people i mean i don't that's a little harsh but you know very fun to play though Mm. very fun to play what a lovely chat with nick just a lovely calm soothing presence who very gently is creating change i love him i love him for that thank you so much for listening if you've got any comments hello at homosapienspodcast.com same goes for if you've got agony uncles hello at homosapienspodcast.com get in touch stay connected at homo sapiens on instagram as they say facebook at homo sapiens podcast.com next week it's a biggie we're talking to the person who's taking the literary world by storm none other than sean fay author of the best seller the transgender issue an argument for justice it is a wonderful chat with sean if you don't follow her on instagram she's very funny so go and follow her as well to get really under the skin but she's been named as like one of the top books of the year in everything that i've been reading anyway um closer you know heat and yeah can't wait for you to hear it thanks so much for listening everybody loads of love bye hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com slash upgrade Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.